nice song. That was a loud song. It was a good song. Spoke out. Sang out, rather. Let's bow our heads for another prayer before we start. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you for who you are, for your character of love, for your courage and bravery. We pray, Lord, that you will send the Holy Spirit to help us to be faithful. We know that you are faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The title of this sermon is When God Himself Wept. And the sermon contains many scriptures, but I want you to actively participate by looking them up with me. My uh, worst fear is that uh, everybody will be waiting on me to get to them, but uh, we'll see what happens. The sermon also contains some Ellen G. White quotes because spirit of prophecy doesn't change what is written in the Bible, but like these glasses, it helps us to focus on what is there. And it seems that the mindset of uh, much of the Christian world is seeing uh, God the Father as of the Old Testament with awe and destruction It sees Jesus as the loving, forgiving new God of the New Testament, changing the old ways. But scripture reveals a far different picture of unity, equality, and love. God had chosen Abraham not only to be a special friend, but to reveal to people what he was really like. I'd like to turn to Genesis 12. One through three. Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The same was true of Joseph in Egypt, Daniel in Babylon, the prophets' teachings, had the same purpose. Let's take a look at Isaiah 56, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. And these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house we called a house of prayer for all nations. And then Romans chapter 9, verses 24 through 26.
Romans chapter 9, verses 24 through 26. Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people, who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one, who is not my loved one. And it will happen in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people. They will be called sons of the living God. The ancient Hebrews had been chosen to reveal God to the world. They thought they could only achieve greatness by separating themselves from God's loving ways. Instead, they were conquered and scattered throughout the nations. But knowledge of God was spread in this way. The ancient Israelite nation learned outward obedience to the law of God, but they didn't learn to love the God of the law. They shut themselves away from the world, thinking to escape temptation. But instead, that nation shut themselves away from God. At just the right time, God with us came to earth as a baby to grow up and show us what God is really like. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus didn't come to change, but to restore the truth. Let's take a look at John 5, verses 39 and 40. John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. You diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. When Jesus said this, there was no New Testament. Now if you would turn to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through accompanied them in verse 4. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, or through accompanied them in verse 4. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud 
in that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And I want to stop there, and I want us to think about, really focus on who accompanied them. Let's keep our hand there, and we'll turn back to Exodus chapter 14, 19 through 20. Exodus chapter 14, 19 to 20. The angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side, light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then let's turn back to where our hand was and reread verse 4 completely. And drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. When we read of harsh judgments in Scripture, we need to remember we're talking about Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to look for the mercy and the compassion in those judgments. And our minds can be very tricky. We make comfort in thinking ourselves, in thinking that uh, we have accepted a seemingly harsh judgment, but in the back of our minds, doubts are raised, and we come away with a distorted view of the God the Father, what he's really like. So what I would like to do is for us to re-examine some of the ways that Jesus has interacted with mankind. Let's take a look at Isaiah 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. From Desire of Ages, page 483, Jesus is not only our shepherd, he is our everlasting father. Let's turn to Micah 5, verse 2, that's uh, in the, uh, prop, the minor prophets. And uh, sometimes if you skip two pages, you skip the whole book. Micah 
Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from the days of eternity. From Patriarchs and Prophets, page 38. Christ was the Son of God. He had been one with him before the angels were called into existence. He had ever stood at the right hand of the Father. His supremacy, so full of blessing to all who came under its benignant control, had not heretofore been questioned. John 1, 1 through 3, it's, it's so familiar to us that it's easy to rush through it without seeing the full message of what he was telling us. So let's, t- let's take a look at that and uh, think about it for a little bit. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. What this says to me is that before anything was made, Jesus was already there. As far back as you want to look in the days of eternity, Jesus was with God and was equal to God. I want to talk about Korah's rebellion and the destruction of Jerusalem. Some very harsh judgments were involved but I also want to look for the love, the mercy, the justice of Jesus. So let's go clear back to Numbers chapter 16, 1 through 3. Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Korah, son of Izhar the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? Now, Korah was a Levite and actually a cousin of Moses. He had been appointed to serve in the tabernacle, but he wasn't satisfied with that position. He wanted the priesthood. He was talented, able. His temptation at first was small, but he encouraged it. Encouraged it to the point where he made himself believe 
that he was doing God's will. From Patriarchs and Prophets, page 396, they forgot that the angel of the covenant was their invisible leader, that veiled by the cloudy pillar, the presence of Christ went before them, and that from him Moses received all his directions. Let's read verses 4 through 10 in the same chapter. In verses 16, and we'll skip down to verses 16 and 17 also. When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take your censers, take, take censers, and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that, God, that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near to himself to do the work as the Lord's tabernacle, at the Lord's tabernacle, and to stand before the community and minister to them? He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you are trying to get the priesthood too. And then we'll skip down to 16 and 17. Moses said to Korah, You and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow. You and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his censer and put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. Moses had received divine guidance in calling for the censer lighting test. It wasn't to take place until the next day. So people could think about what they were doing. The law was very clear that only the priesthood were allowed to do this. Nadab and Abihu had been priests, but they were destroyed because of their grievous sin. Let's, in that same chapter, let's go on with verses 18 through 21. So each man took his censer, put fire and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. This is a cancerous rebellion, but look at what Jesus orchestrates in verse 22. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? Why weren't Moses and Aaron afraid? 
to remain with this assembly. Does it make a difference when you know what God is really like? Let's turn to John chapter 6, verse 44. John 6, 44. <clears throat> no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. As an example of this, I'd like you to turn to Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. And I believe this is in the Minor Prophets. And this is the one that uh, I can skip over easily. Jonah chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. When news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion. Turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon the destruction he had threatened. The question that comes to my mind, how did these wicked pagan people guess what God might be like? Let's go back to... Numbers 16, and go a little further in that. Verses 23 through 26. Numbers chapter 16, verses 23 through 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, Move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of their sins. And when Moses warned the congregation, to move back from those wicked men. It was a chance for Korah, Dathan, and Abiram to repent. Instead, they refused to change. <clears throat> Let's read on with, uh, in the same chapter, verses 28 through 35. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things, and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, 
then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he was finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all of Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. And I had uh, talked about harsh judgments. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? But note, the 250 men were not immediately, the 250 men who offered incense were not immediately destroyed. They saw what happened to the leaders. They had time to think about it, but they still did not repent. And then destruction came. But many in the congregation were also guilty. But listen what Patriarchs and Prophets, page 401, has to say about them. Jesus, the angel who went before the Hebrews, sought to save them from destruction. Forgiveness was lingering for them. The judgment of God had come very near and appealed to them to repent. A special, irresistible interference from heaven had arrested their rebellion. Now, if they would respond to the interposition of God's providence, they might be saved. But while they fled from the judgments through the fear of destruction, their rebellion was not cured. They returned to their tents that night terrified, but not repentant. I have heard Pastor Dwight Nelson of Andrews University make this point. Jesus is someone to run to, not away from. But Evangeline, Evangeline of the uh, Cadillac Church family said, Mama, when Jesus comes, may I run to him or do I ask you first? And Christy says, you may run to him. Jesus was dealing with a deeply ingrained rebellion and more happened as the rebellion continued, it became apparent the people just wanted their way, and they were willing to kill for it. Maybe some of these people that had run will come up to you in heaven and say, there was terrible rebellion in my heart, but Jesus changed me and saved me. But I'd like to leave the Old Testament to look at that pattern of love and justice in the New Testament, when Jesus looked upon Jerusalem, Jews from many lands had gathered to celebrate the Passover. There were gardens, vineyards, and green slopes. The temple with its marble walls glistened as the sun was setting. Let's turn to Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 43.
Luke 19, verses 41 through 43. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. From Great Controversy, page 21. From the ridge of Olivet, the very spot afterward occupied by Titus and his army, he looked across the valley upon the sacred courts and porticos, and with tear-dimmed eyes he saw in awful perspective the walls surrounded by alien hosts. He heard the tread of armies marshalling for war, he heard the voices, the voice of mothers and children crying for bread in the besieged city. He saw her holy and beautiful house, palaces and towers given to the flames, and where once they stood only a heap of smoldering ruins. Spirit of prophecy continued to say that Christ looked down the ages, and he saw Jerusalem as a symbol of an entire world in rebellion and the misery that they would bring to themselves. Solomon's temple, the first temple, had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. The second temple had been built 500 years before Christ's birth on a less grand scale, although it was still magnificent in the pride of Israel. In the first part of Haggai 2.9 that Bob read, prophesies about this second temple. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. Greek Controversy, page 24. The second temple was not honored with the cloud of Jehovah's glory, but with the living presence of one in whom dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily, who was God himself manifest in the flesh. And I came to the conclusion <clears throat> that on Mount Olivet, overlooking Jerusalem, God himself wept. If you want to rededicate your lives to Jesus, please stand now and, and bow your heads. Our Father in heaven, standing is a small thing, but giving our hearts to you every day is a big thing. Create within us a pure heart. Thank you. Turn to uh, hymn 289, <clears throat> The Savior is Waiting. <clears throat> 